Welcome. It's lovely to, lovely to be amongst you. Um, I'm thrilled to be up here, and I was particularly thrilled this morning to see so many new faces coming into the door. And I said to this one chap on the door, I said, you must be here for King's Church. Uh, clearly, the news had gathered that I was preaching, and I was thinking, this is excellent news. And he says, no, I'm here for Shakespeare. So uh, there's actually a conference going on upstairs as well. So, um, But it's wonderful to be amongst you. And if I can start with a bit of a confession, this, this last week, I've definitely felt the weight and the responsibility of uh, teaching into an amazing book. And I think um, what I've come to realize is that as I've at times felt a little bit unqualified, that God loves a rookie, God loves to qualify us, and so I hope that I can serve you and uh, serve the the gospel that we're going to be teaching from and also serve him today. So, as Philip says, we are starting a week which we have entitled Passion of Jesus. We're going to bookend Easter week, Philip and I. And this is undoubtedly the most important week of the year in the Christian calendar. We are sharing together with Christians around the world of the passion that Jesus has for humanity. And so we find ourselves today on Palm Sunday in John 12. Now, let me set the scene a little bit for you before we get into our verse. Up to this point, Jesus has largely kept his identity veiled. So you remember those uh, intimate moments that Jesus has with many people in his ministry where he perhaps performs miracles in front of them or for them. And he often says, almost curiously, keep that to yourself. Here we now see Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem and announce himself to the masses. So a huge crowd would have gathered for Passover. Some writers said there would have been about a million people that would have gathered in Jerusalem. So it was a really important moment in the year. And many were drawn to Jerusalem to see Lazarus and to see Jesus. Because not long before this moment, Lazarus has been raised from the dead by Jesus. I don't know about you, but if someone had been raised from the dead, I would want to turn out and see them too. And so this was a bit of a draw for many people. And Jesus uses this moment, a moment when lots of people would have been gathered to declare who he is and why he's here. So he's faced with people shouting his name, shouting Hosanna, God saves. He's faced with praise. But he's also faced with some skeptics and perhaps some questions as well. And it's at this moment, Jesus addresses a crowd that have gathered around the question of how do I receive the life that you are offering? And this is where we find ourselves in our verse. And Jesus' response is both awesome and perhaps a little challenging too. So, John writes in chapter 12, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was there from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
And this is the part of our, our verse that I really want to focus in on today. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. So last year, on the 25th of October, at about 8.35 in the evening, life was born into the Thorn household, our gorgeous little girl, Matilda, down here. And since that moment, still to this very day, and I believe beyond, based on some of the uh, uh, conversations I've had with seasoned parents, she depends on us for her life. And in fact, this season, if you like, has caused Katie and I to ask some of the bigger questions of life. Where are our lives going? What do we want her life to look like in the future? What lives are we going to role model for her? And this theme of life is not just a feature of our verse, but is in fact the very purpose that John writes his entire gospel. Helpfully, in John 20, he writes what his purpose is. And he writes this in John 20. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And here it is, that by believing, you may have life in his name. He's writing these things to inspire belief, and through belief, we may have life. Now, people far more intelligent than I am write about this and suggest that the translation here that I've just read out perhaps doesn't fully do it justice. So, in the original Greek, they used to read and write in a tense called present continuous. And this verse, uh, this tense, is all about continually doing something, okay? So if we were to perhaps translate this verse that I've just read here from John 20 in the present continuous tense, it might come out something like this. These are written that you may go on believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by going on believing, you may go on having life. John describes the life that Jesus offers as a present continuous life. Eternal life isn't just an insurance against death, but a life to enjoy here and now and go on living for eternity. Uh, One of my uh, favorite uh, Bible uh, commentators is a chap called David Pawson, and he writes about this, and he says, life is the end for which John is writing, that readers may go on having life. So if I was going to title this first part of our two-part series, it would be this, the passion of Jesus for life. So we see life at the center of our verse. Life is the topic of conversation on this day of Passover when these group of Greeks have gathered. Remember our verse, he says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Life is the big question these crowds are asking about. But perhaps another question you may have today is what is the life that Jesus is offering? And I think I've got some really good news for you. So 
in order to uh, answer this question, I'm going to propose that we have a little bit of a hunt around in, still in the, the Gospel of John. And John uh, was, uh, he kind of set himself apart from some of the, uh, the other uh, gospel writers. And one thing that sets him apart is what he's writing for. Unlike the other gospels that are more interested in perhaps what Jesus did or said, although that's still important to John, John was particularly interested in who Jesus was. And he organizes his evidence for the divinity of Christ around the number seven. I think that's pretty neat. I consider myself quite an organized person, so I can appreciate what John is doing here. The number seven in Hebrew thinking was the perfect number. So he has seven witnesses that testify to the divinity of Jesus in the Gospel of John. He writes about seven miracles, and these miracles are only miracles that could have been possible if you yourself were divine as Jesus was. And he uses seven words that Jesus uses to describe himself. Many of you will know these as the kind of I am statements. And I believe these I am statements give us the clues of the sort of life that Jesus is offering. And so what I'd like to do is is go through these statements and build a bit of a patchwork uh, on a picture of the sort of life that Jesus is offering. Okay? So, the first... I am the good shepherd. Jesus is offering a loved life. Let me read it. In John 10, he writes, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So you can imagine Jesus would have been uh, talking to an audience that would have understood the role and responsibility of a shepherd, right? Uh, Tending to their flocks day and night. Uh, Perhaps the equivalent today is uh, farmers, you might be able to draw a parallel to farmers. Katie and I, we have a, a bit of a guilty pleasure on a Sunday night. We love to watch Country File. I don't know if anyone uh, else watches. Nope, just us, thought so. Um, but what thing you see consistently on Country File, week after week, is farmers tending to their flocks. Come snow, come rain, come sleet, come shine, come day, come night. They are always out there with their sheepdog looking after their livestock. But Jesus isn't just describing himself as a shepherd or a farmhand. He's describing himself as the good shepherd. Jesus says he lays down his life for his sheep. He knows his sheep. Nothing will snatch his sheep from his hands. And to quote the psalmist, he leads us to green pastures beside still waters. That is a love I can only imagine giving Matilda. And maybe you're not a Christian today. I want to encourage you with some uh, good news because John goes on to write. He says, I have other sheep that are not in his fold, this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. He is passionate about having a relationship with each and every one of us today, whether you are a Christian or not. 
So that's our first, I am the good shepherd. He's offering us a loved life. Number two, I am the resurrection and the life. We've just been singing about that. I absolutely love that song. Thank you, Ross, for introducing that uh, to this church. It's brilliant. So in John 11, he writes, Jesus said to her, that is uh, Mary, his friend, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asks. One thing Jesus consistently does is backs up who he claims to be. Shortly after he's claimed to be the resurrection and the life, what does he do? He resurrects his friend Lazarus from death to life. By resurrection power, he finds a way for Lazarus where there wouldn't have otherwise been a way. The Bible writes that he would have been rotting in his tomb. The tomb would have been physically smelly, so you can get the sense that he really was dead and Jesus brought him back to life. But this was only a fraction of things to come. When Jesus rose by the power of the Holy Spirit, he made a way for each and every one of us. It says, those who believe in him will never die. I loved what Becca brought earlier. We who believe in Jesus Christ will personally experience resurrection because having the life Jesus gives, we have overcome death. We have no reason to fear as Becca was praying for us. And we can be in that love relationship with that good shepherd forever and ever and ever. And that's a gift worth receiving, no? So that's our second I am the resurrection and the life. He's offering us eternal life. The third, I am the bread of life, offering us a nourished life through him. In John 6, he writes, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that, you, uh, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread and that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is another part of John's gospel where Jesus backs up who he claims to be. Jesus delivered this particular claim just after feeding the 5,000 with what? Bread and fish. But now Jesus is going again one step further. He isn't promising to fill our stomachs. In fact, uh, John writes of what Jesus was quoted to say, he says, don't work for the food that perishes. He's saying feast on him and never hunger or thirst for eternity. He's wholeheartedly committed to our nourishment. But we also, perhaps for the first time uh, so far, get a bit of a flavor that the life Jesus is offering isn't totally straightforward. In fact, the Bible says people were offended at what he was saying, using this imagery of feasting on his flesh. And perhaps we'll continue to explore that dichotomy between uh, the awesomeness of what Jesus is saying and perhaps some of the more shocking nature of what he's saying too as we continue on together. So that's number three, I am the bread of life. He's offering us a nourished life through him. Now on to John eight, he writes, I am the light of the world. He wants us to live free from darkness. 
In John 8, he writes, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just as before, Jesus backs up who he claims to be. In this instance, this claim comes fresh off the back of when Jesus is approached by some scribes and some Pharisees for, their permi- for Jesus' permission to stone a woman who they've just found uh, out as having a, a, an adulterous relationship. And perhaps many of you will know that what he graciously says is this, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. He's so wise. Jesus was graciously shining light on the sin of this woman and on the sin of the Pharisees. He then invites her to go on sinning no more. He was inviting her into the light. In our verse, John uses darkness as a metaphor for death. And what Jesus is saying here is with him, we don't have to hide our weaknesses. We don't need to hide our our failings. He shines light on our sin and helps us walk into freedom with him. And as painful as that can be, it is always better for us. I had the privilege of being amongst some of the guys who were uh, gathered over the last six months or so to explore eldership and the vision for the church. And one thing we committed to do amongst one another was to be open and transparent and honest. And I... uh, took that moment to share some things uh, with the guys that I hadn't shared with many people before that were really holding me back and had held me back for a long time. And by the grace of God, he led me through that confession out of darkness and into light. And I can tell you, since that very moment, things, the weight has fallen off. There's been so much that I can be so grateful for just because I took that invitation to move from darkness into light in that moment. But I don't underestimate the courage it takes to do this. And we're reminded again that life with Jesus isn't always plain sailing. So that's number four. I am the light of the world. He wants us to live a life free from darkness. Number five, he says, I am the true vine. In him, he's offering us a fruitful life. In John 15, he writes, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, that is remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So a quick recap, Jesus is offering us a loved life. He's offering us eternal life with him. He's offering us a nourished life and a life free from darkness. And now he's offering us a fruitful life too. He promises that those who abide in him, who remain in him, to use the uh, purpose verse we read earlier together from John 20, those who go on believing in him, bear much fruit. He's clearly committed to us growing, being productive, having a life well lived. Do we not all long to be a little bit more fruitful, a bit more productive, a bit more difference making in our lives? I know I do. 
Well, for those who were here on uh, our, our week of prayer and fasting, this is something that uh, Philip unpacked a lot more than I'm able to now. But you'll remember that life uh, as a Christian is not as simple as become a Christian, you become more fruitful. It's a process, right? Jesus, in his wholehearted commitment to us, prunes us, shapes us, so that more fruit can grow. Through his sovereign grace, he allows challenge and loss into our life from time to time. And as hard as it is, are you willing to remain in him, to go on believing so that you can be pruned, so that you can realize the fruit fruit that God has in store for you and the fullness of this life that he's offering. So number five, I am the true vine. He's offering us a fruitful life through him. And now we come to our final uh, two I am claims. In John 10, he writes, Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then in John 14, he writes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So now for our crescendo. We've explored perhaps the beauty of life that Jesus offers, but we've also seen that it can be difficult to accept. The confession of darkness in our lives, the pruning back, these are all things I would far rather shy away from. I, uh, for those of you who know me, uh, I'm a bit of a glass half full kind of guy and I much prefer to steer clear of perhaps some of these tensions. I find them hard to stomach. And perhaps here is another one that's difficult for many to accept. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. Exclusively through him, we can receive abundant life. And I think for many people the world over, this is perhaps one of the hardest things to stomach. What about our good works? What about keeping the rules? What about loving our neighbor? What about being a model citizen? Do these things not give us the access to the life that Jesus is offering? The only way to life is through him. None of those things will do. Through leaving our old life behind and believing in him. So that is our sixth and our seventh. I am the door and I am the way, the truth and the life. And so we come full circle with our verse today, let's read it again. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, and the Father will honor him. Perhaps here, more than ever, on this great day of celebration, when the crowds are gathered, And turned out to praise his name, Jesus puts it up in stark black and white. How do we receive abundant life? We have to first lay down our own and follow him. And if I may finish perhaps with a story. When Katie and I uh, moved to London, many of you know we did so with a desire to start a church of our own. Uh, A desire we firmly believe had been placed there by God. So we started with a couple of friends, and between the four of us, we had no credentials to uh, start a church of our own. 
But we knew we had God with us. And during that time, we laid down something of ourselves. We laid down some time, some resources, some energy, some headspace. Uh, and to agree, I suppose, some of the, uh, the niceties uh, that your 20s are often defined by. To pursue what we believed to be the greatest purpose there is, to know Jesus and to make Jesus known through our local church. But what Jesus gave us back as we laid some of those things down was remarkable. We had a group of people who diligently turned out week after week, who lifted our confidence to lead and gave us a passion to support people. It caused our faith to rise to a whole new level. We had 80, 90, 100 people pass through our small group of a church. White, black, Asian, uh, American, Colombian, Scandinavian, gay, straight, employed, unemployed. We met all over London, Vauxhall, Poplar, Richmond, Green Park, Teddington. He took us on such an adventure for a couple of years. If I fast forward the story, perhaps in part because we had a lack of a central meeting place and our, and our hub of community just wasn't, um, wasn't forming, we decided it wasn't sustainable to keep on going. And in a really, really painful time for us, God led us to lay down everything that we built. You can imagine some of the emotions, a bit of failure, a bit of frustration, probable loss of friendship as we kind of went our different ways. But to God, this was the beginning of a new season. And the good news is that as we laid down the desire to have our own church, God blessed us abundantly with you guys. You guys became our new family, our new church. We count many of uh, people here, some of our best friends. We have a life group who we love dearly. Today, our characters and our relationships and our capacity and our sense of adventure has been lifted to an all-time high. We receive life from God Loving, eternal, nourished, fruitful life lived in the light with him and through him when we lay something down. So in my story, we gave something of ourselves. It wasn't everything. And we received abundantly from God. And here's where we land. That is nothing compared to what Jesus did. Jesus isn't just instructing us to lay down our lives in this verse. He has already done it. He came from the riches of heaven, a perfect place to this broken world, died on the cross in the ultimate act of passion for you and I, and on the third day rose again to make a way for us so that we could be in right relationship with him and to the message today so we could pick up the abundant life that he has on offer for us. This is the message of Easter, right? This is the good news, and it's on offer for each and every one of us today. If I can ask um, Ross and the band to come and join me as we kind of uh, enter into a time of response. And I wanna perhaps organize our response around uh, two parts. The first part of the response is I wanna talk to people who would count themselves as Christians and believers today. 
I want to challenge you. Are you a life-losing believer today? Are you seeking first the kingdom? Are you planting yourself firmly enough in the house? Are you taking up your cross daily and following him? Are you losing something? Just around the corner of those decisions is an abundant life that Jesus wants to give you. And I was, as I was preparing for uh, today, um, I was stirred around this topic of comfort. We live in perhaps one of the most comfortable enclaves in the whole world, right? And comfort often has this ability to make us lethargic to this message. And I want to perhaps encourage us and challenge us that maybe today you need to lay down a degree of comfort. I don't know what degree that might be. You do. But as we are going forward in worship, and as perhaps we have time at the end to pray with one another, for one another, think about that. Think about that. Is that for you today? What are you going to lay down this Easter? But I also want to encourage you that you are not alone on that journey. John goes on to write, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He doesn't just ask us to do something and then leave the room. He leaves us with the helper to help us on this journey. So what are you going to lay down this Easter? Because I can tell you on the other side of that decision is an abundant life that Jesus is ready to take you on. And now I'm going to talk to those who perhaps wouldn't call themselves Christians, who wouldn't call themselves believers today. And I want to share a short story. Four or five weeks ago, I don't think she'll mind me saying this, Liz posted a wonderful video on our uh, WhatsApp feed as a memorial to the late, great Billy Graham. For those of you who don't know who Billy Graham is, perhaps one of the greatest evangelists of our time. He spoke to, in his time, they think, 215 million people around the world sharing the good news across 160, 170 different countries. He was a prolific guy. And in this memorial video, he was quoted to say this, in all my time, and I add, for all the people I've ever met, and I'm sure he met more people than many, many, many of us will ever imagine to meet. He said this, I have never once met one person who regretted choosing Jesus. Living a life with Jesus. Jesus is offering you today abundant life. All that you have to do, to quote John 20, which we explored earlier, is believe. And maybe this Easter is your time to believe. So Ross is going to lead us in some worship and the, the prayer uh, team will be at the front here as well, as well as myself and Philip, um, and Patrick and Jason and Mark. And look, we would love to pray with you if you are responding to perhaps either of those, whether you're a believer who feels convicted and challenged and also stirred to lay something down today. We'd love to pray for you. And if you're not a believer today, we would love the opportunity to pray for you. If today is your moment to say, I'm ready to confess my belief. Okay. Superb. Amen. <laughs>